KXRN LP. Laguna Niguel, Laguna Beach. Member supported KXFM on 104.7. KXFMRadio.org. This disclaimer is a statement notifying listening audiences that any opinions expressed on our shows are not representative of Laguna Radio Inc., its management, or its board of directors. excited this week. Uh, I'm back, back in the saddle, and I have a guest for you today. Oh my gosh, so much going on. I'm just, I'm I, I, beyond words, I'm verklempt. <laughs> Where's the wilting couch? I'm going to pass out. No. <laughs> oh, a good morning, Laguna Beach. This is Craig on KXFM, Human Crafted Radio 104.7 here in Laguna Beach with Rainbow Radio. Lots going on in the community and lots going on uh, on a global level, and we have lots to report. Uh, first, I want to mention I have a guest uh, this morning. I'm, I'm going to pronounce her name, probably pronounce it incorrectly, but I'm sure once we get her on, on the air, we can correct it. So I believe it's Dryanne Juarez. Uh, uh, Dryanne is a powerful transgender and diversity advocate and will be our very special guest as we discuss the many issues and challenges for this diverse and marginalized community. She will explain the stereotyped ignorance and hate that causes con- confrontations, abuse, and even death at the hand of hands of others. So this could be a very interesting, provocative, insightful, gut-wrenching, heartwarming, all of those things <laughs> here on KXFM so early in the morning on Saturday morning. And as uh, I always like to do uh, right away is the weather report. And it's looking pretty good. Uh, today, we are, a, uh, well, it's a little overcast, but we were, were supposed to be partly cloudy skies, high as 72. 72. I mean, only in Laguna Beach. Uh, south winds from the southwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour. And then as we go through the week, it's it gets a little cooler on, uh, uh, well, on Saturday night. But it's uh, 73, and then Monday we get up into the 80s. And all the way through the week for 10 days, it's sunny, sunny, sunny. Did I say that? Sunny, sunny, sunny. And 88, 85, 86, 84. So we got a warm, sunny week ahead of us here in lovely Laguna Beach. We love Laguna Beach. 
Speaking of Laguna Beach, did anyone catch uh, la- yesterday evening's program here from KXFM where we interviewed all the candidates for city council? And it was, I was so pleased. I felt everyone was so, um, in this day and age when so many po- politics become confrontational, that this group of five candidates were, uh, I mean, I, want, I, I wanted all of them. They all had something to contribute. Unfortunately, there's only two spaces open, so uh, we have to make some tough choices as a voter here in Laguna. And if you wanted to know uh, more about each of the candidates, it's a great thing to to go uh, and view it. Uh, you can go to the website here, and the, there is a link uh, from KXFM to the program, or uh, the Chamber of Commerce has it posted. A lot of ways you can find it. And uh, I'm I assume the city probably does too, uh, also as well. So it was kind of the culmination of like five different uh, town hall kind of interview and question and answer periods for the candidates uh, last night. And and it went on for two hours. So we covered a lot of things uh, from South Laguna to North Laguna to up the Canyon to uh, I, well, you have to watch it. It's very in-depth and there were some very, very, um, a few softball questions, but there were some very aggressive questions, and they were from submitted. They were not the opinion of KXFM because uh, we're we're non-committal in this. We're just we're providing the uh, communication device, if you will, to to watch the to listen to the program. So and uh, Zoom, so you can see the Zoom program, uh, see all the candidates, their expressions, and as they talk. And I am there with Elise, Alyssa, and we are co-host. We were co-moderating the program. So if you haven't seen it, I I highly recommend. If you're voting, I highly recommend it. Go and check it out. Um, got a siren going by here. So that's that. It's uh, all to say on that. I have to say that there is some uh, interesting news. Well, first of all, there is a uh, art. A few events that are coming up that I want to talk about. Actually, there's three. We'll start with the Getty. The Getty has a huge archives of photographs and art, but images. Um, they're collecting more images in Google, I believe. And they're, most of them are copyrighted, but they they are a repository for a multitude of images across many countries and cultures and whatnot, and they continue to collect them. Uh, It's a very impressive collection. So with that, they did a pride at the Getty, and it said, this is in their header, it says, in honor of LGBT History Month this October, which October is LGBTQ History Month, they didn't put a Q on there, LGBT. Uh, is curated from the staff across the Getty, uh, across the Getty reflect on, as they reflect on themes uh, represented by the colors of the rainbow flag through the works of our collection. So uh, there is a link there, but if you just go to the Getty, uh, Getty's website, and it's the Pride at the Getty, uh, you can um, go tour it, and it's a, it's a wonderful, um, it's meant for online, and it's a wonderful way to see. Uh, a little history and uh, a different point of view, or I see an all inclusive point of view. Let's say that 
on uh, that comes from the Getty. So that's great. And tomorrow, 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 tomorrow is, 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 is. <laughs> National coming out, 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 out day. National coming out day. So listen, if you haven't, you know, I don't think there's anyone I could say <laughs> that, oh, by the way, I think everyone knows by now. They, they, they tend to know pretty quickly. Uh, anyway, so tomorrow's National Coming Out Day. Isn't that fantastic? Um, let, me, let me read what they say about it, because if you're not sure, National Coming Out Day is an annual LGBT awareness day observed on October 11th to support lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people, and sometimes other groups typically group within that community, which I would... Well, transgender is already in there. Uh, to coming out of the closet, first celebrated in the United States in 1988, the initial idea was grounded in the feminist and gay liberation spirit of the personal being, uh, personal being political and the emphasis on the most basic form of activism being coming out to family, friends, and colleagues and living a life that is openly lesbian or gay. The foundation, uh, foundational belief is that the homophobia that homophobia thrives in an atmosphere of silence and ignorance. Yes, sir, indeed, that is true. And that once people uh, people know they have loved ones who are lesbian or gay, they are far less likely to maintain homophobic, oppressive views. So it, I guess, it really kind of goes without saying. I mean, that's, that's to me like common sense. Uh, I think... It goes to the story where, oh, you know, I don't, I abhor uh, gays and lesbians, and they find out that their their <laughs> their butcher is gay and is dating. <laughs> I don't know. You know how it goes. They don't they don't realize that they know gays, or, or they say, I don't know any gays. I've never known any gays. Well, let me tell you, dear, <laughs> probably know a heck of a lot more than than what you might think. So, and the next. Um, Item the number three item that I want to announce, kind of as a as a newsworthy thing, is that uh, Laguna Beach Pride 365 will be yet again having a lovely Endora uh, host uh, host extraordinaire do another drag bingo. We call it uh, Spooktacular, <laughs> and that'll be on the 29th, which is a Thursday. And it looks like we may be at uh, Sapphire Grill in the patio there this time. And uh, but that's pr preliminary. We haven't got that in writing yet. We don't, don't have all the details. So that's what we're working on. But anyway, we will have it and it will be on the 29th, no matter what, where we find a location. And if you're not familiar uh, with what it's about, uh, Laguna Beach Pride feels that they need to contribute to the commerce and businesses uh, that thrive in our community, uh, as particularly those with um, an all-inclusive policy and uh, LGBTQ supportive of equality. So we we appreciate that. So Laguna Beach is working with the city and the Chamber of Commerce to put on programs. The programs in this case uh, are for charity and the money and uh, that is received, that is donated, which is tax deductible, uh, fully tax deductible, is um, goes this uh, next event to the Friendship Shelter, which uh, here in Laguna Beach is headquartered here in Laguna Beach, and they have facilities uh, on PCH um, in the city, and then in the canyon they have another facilities. So they have two facilities, 
and uh, they do a lot for the community, and they're a lot for homeless. Uh, I spoke with the director, and the director of the organization says it's it's housing first, or uh, they've discovered in the homeless situation, they've tried, there's been many approaches to it, and it, it has to be a fairly complex uh, program to get the results that everyone wants, because people are homeless for various reasons. Um, one I find most disturbing, well, there's a lot of disturbing reasons for being homelessness, but one that I find disturbing is if you're LGBT and you're kicked out of your home, particularly for a situation for, uh, or, or, or you're, there's a situation where you're homeless because of you being gay, and I'll just leave it at that. And so you're on the street, and there's a there's an uh, inordinate amount, a larger number of those people that are on the street that are younger and gay because they have no place to go. But there's also um, every level of uh, mental health issue, uh, which is something that needs to be specifically addressed. And... Hear some, I hear a phone going off. <laughs> Sorry. And so there, but you have to tack it on all levels. And I think that's what's happening. So, and that's good. Um, and so those are the three things I wanted to mention. One is the Getty has a, a fabulous program going on for LGBTQ. And then tomorrow it's coming out, National Coming Out Day. So don't forget that. And then on the 29th, we have uh, Laguna Beach Pride is putting on another charity event to raise money for the Friendship Shelter, so those things. In a few minutes, my uh, guest will be calling in uh, and uh, we'll catch up on many things that have to do with, which is a very topical, I think, item right now at the moment, and that is transgender issues. Uh, there are a few things here. Maybe I'll whet the appetite here with, with one of them is... Uh, some of the statistics of the of how much uh, abuse there is. Um, well, I, you know, I'm going to save it for for when we get our our guest on, because I'm sure she'll have uh, lots of information. We're going to take a short music break with a "Here for You" by Kygo, and we'll be back on the other side, hopefully with our guest, and uh, uh, have a fabulous interview. It looks like she's calling in. Hold on, I'll get the music going, and, and we'll see. program for our radio guest. Drian, are you there? Yes. Hi, Craig. I'm here. Oh, did I pronounce your name correctly? Uh, you did. That was very good. Drian. 
Well, we, we were, I was talking, doing an introduction for you earlier, and I said, I'm not sure about how to pronounce her name, but I'm sure she'll accept me. I don't want to say straight. She would move me forward. Uh, Drian. So, Perfect. yeah, so I read a little bit about your bio here on uh, KXN. And so if you're just tuning in, uh, Drian uh, Juarez is a, can I call you an activist? Or would you just say a facilitator? Or how would you characterize your? Uh, uh, definitely an activist. Okay. Well, some people are very sensitive to that because they think it sounds hostile, but I don't think so. I think it's a, a very positive thing. So, so Drian is uh, is an activist when it comes to transgender, and oh my gosh, there's so much going on in that oh, uh, yes. on that topic. So, with that, I I'd like you just um, you know sometimes people that come on the show they're they're not. Uh, they don't talk too much about themselves. So I'm going to, I'm going to read some, so you have no choice because I want to get out there what, <laughs> what, what is, what you are about in a bit. It says, uh, Drian Juarez is a global consultant on diversity inclusion and in, and inclusion and is the vice president of programming for the trans can work. She works to build inclusive uh, company cultures where gender diverse people can thrive. She has served as the global partnership manager for Grinder, Grinders Grinder for Equality program, where she promoted health, justice, and equality for the global LGBTQI community. She is founder and former program manager of the LA LGBT Center's Transgender Economic Empowerment Project TEEP, building on a solid foundation for TEEP. Juarez has uh, established cross-organizational, cross-functional teams to assist in the mission of developing substantive employment and business opportunities for the Los Angeles transgender community. So that's that's a lot for for, uh-huh. for someone who's what fourteen years old, right? Uh, yes, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Did I leave anything out? Uh, Drian. No, no, I think that that covers, yeah. you know, the span of, of my work, um, you know, and it keeps evolving, thank goodness. And as you mentioned, you know, I had hoped that by this time things, you know, would be getting easier for trans and gender diverse people because the world is becoming more diverse. Yes. But, you know, we have uh, an administration that's really working to erase our identities and our protections. And so we have to fight harder than ever. We have to be those advocates more than ever before. Yeah, well, even this last week, there's two uh, conservative Supreme Court justices that are looking to uh, tear apart the uh, right to marry, uh, same couple's uh, right to marry. That was on the MSNBC yesterday, I noticed. So, yeah, so it's not, we're not out of the woods. We, we got a good view of the scenery beyond, but we're not completely out of the woods, it sounds like. Absolutely. And I hope that wakes, you know, some in our community up. You know, there's been some statistics that there's a, a good percentage of uh, gay white men who support Trump. Um, and I hope this is a wake up for anybody in the LGBTQ community that Trump is not out there to support any of us, whether you are trans or gay. You know, all of our rights are being taken away. Um, and it starts with trans people because it's easy to pick on us because people oftentimes don't understand our identities, but it doesn't stop there. It's going to go after, you know, marriage, equality, 
and all of the other, uh, you know, movements that we've made to create more uh, access for our community. Yeah, you know, you kind of set off an alarm there. Uh, you want to pick a, when you want to be against a project, you want to pick one that is most likely to be misunderstood and for that reason dismissed and disliked. And certainly transgender falls into that category when it comes into the big scheme of LGBTQ, if you ask me my opinion. And I, and so to me, they are the most vulnerable group in the, in the of the uh, gay community, the larger gay community. And as that, they're, and for that, they're being um, victimized more than perhaps uh, the rest of us. But, but any selfish, uh, uh, I guess, disenfranchisement, I guess, is, is a cause to be alarmed. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, it's important to note that when we're talking about especially trans women of color, we're really talking about a, a group in our community that are being murdered, um, you know, at a very high rate, that experience a lot of violence, uh, just trying to live their day-to-day lives. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, trans people of color are really feeling the, the brunt of all of this pain and um, violence. Yeah, I, I there was a... A singing comedian, Sammy Davis Jr., years ago, he says, listen, I'm black and I'm Jewish. I can't move into, into very many neighborhoods. And so, <laughs> which I thought, right. whoa. <laughs> but so we've come a long way. So now the, the new I, I can't move into many neighborhoods is I'm gay and, and a trans. And as if you ask me, it's a double whammy and I'm black. Yeah. You know, so, yes, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we've moved forward, not in a good way. <laughs> Jeez. I'm you sorry. know, we've, we've moved forward a little bit, but now we have to fight to protect what we've gained. And we can't, you know, sit on our laurels and think, okay, we've, you know, accomplished so much. It's, it's a reminder that, you know, the fight still goes on um, and we have to stay vigilant. You sound very passionate about it. I want, what was there an aha moment for you when you, you uh, saw this, what was going on where you felt, you know, I can maybe change things for the better. Did did you, did you get you know, bowled over with that or? You know, I think my whole life has been that aha moment. I'm, you know, an immigrant. I immigrated to the States when I was about five years old from Mexico. Um, my mother was a single mother, was in an abusive relationship and, you know, moved to the States to try to make a, a life for herself and her child. Um, and so, you know, she brought me over with her when I was about five years old. And so I didn't speak any English. English is my second language. Um, and immediately, you know, felt what it was like to be an immigrant in the States. Um, and, you know, the stigma of being a, a, an immigrant um, was sort of the first layer of, of discrimination or hostility that I felt. Um, and then, you know, being a gender non-conforming child at a time where none of that existed, um, you know, I started sort of becoming more myself or expressing more of myself in the early 80s. And at that time, you know, there was no language. There was no LGBTQ acronym or transgender, you know, right. uh, label. there was transsexual and that's it. Um, but even then, you didn't see much of it on TV or hear about it. And so for me, it was growing up with a big mystery. Well, there was um, transvestite 
got yes, that thrown in there. And that's not really, that's just the occasional crazy person that wants to dress up, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you know, language was not where it's at today. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in 2005, uh, I experienced a hate crime where I was shot in the face and <sighs> um, I lost my right eye and I have a glass eye today. And that was really the most profound aha moment. You know, I, wow. I felt like, you know, I was very grateful to have survived, to be alive, um, and really inspired me to do more. I felt like, okay, I have another shot at this. Let me do something with this time. And that's when I started volunteering and getting involved and, you know, sort of found my place in the community. Well, that would be a, a strong push forward. Man, I can't imagine. Um, so did you just look in the yellow pages because it was back then and say, oh, well, what organizations are there? Or did you build one? What happened uh, from this? Um, no, you know, uh, I... I'm fortunate enough to live in Los Angeles where, you know, you have uh, a lot of resources and organizations that help LGBTQI people. And I actually connected with an organization called Bienestad. And Bienestad, you know, had support groups for um, immigrant trans women. Um, they would meet once a week and um, these groups of incredible women who just had the most amazing stories of resiliency and, you know, uh, you know, I thought what I had experienced was pretty bad, but when I started to hear the stories from my sisters of, you know, law enforcement that would, you know, sexually assault them or threaten their lives on a daily basis where they lived in Mexico, you know, it just really woke me up to, you know, how how absolutely horrible the experiences are that we've had. Um, and that's when, you know, I started to get involved and volunteered in events and try to figure out what I could do and was able to get a job as an HIV health educator working with trans women who were forced into the street economy because no one would give them jobs. And so that's really when I started to do this work um, more actively. You know, we're, uh, I, I just got smacked in the face with uh, employment would be, uh, could be a challenge for that. And uh, housing could be a challenge. Both those could be major issues for a trans person, I would assume. Absolutely. And that's why you have so many trans people who turn to the street economy, like sex work, in order to survive because, you know, we can't get jobs. Nobody will hire us. Um, so then you can't save any money. So then you can't, you know, get a place to live. You don't have a credit history you know, um, really economic empowerment is often that first uh, step to stabilizing your life. Um, and, you know, that's why I focus on that today, because that's really, you know, when you economically empower people, when you give them an income, you give them a voice. Yeah. And you know, that, that's what I work for, to give trans people a voice, to give them a place at the table. Um, so... There's so many things I want to discuss here. I'm just, I don't know which way to go. Um, you know, I, I, it's one thing if you're, uh, the situation you discuss, you just discuss where they turn to the street, then they put themselves at a much greater risk uh, for abuse and harm uh, in that uh, trying to work and make a living that for most everyone else is, uh, almost a given right, you know, uh, as opposed to their uh, spot. 
and uh and then i suppose that a lot of people are very dismissive well they brought that on themselves you know um i'm sorry i mean i i would i i was of the opinion that either you're gay or straight for many years and then i realized that genuinely there are people that are in between and it's and it's predetermined and you can't help it but there are people and i and at first i always felt that um i think I'm speaking for me with my prejudices, if you will, Adrian, from years ago. And I think I probably was not alone in that prejudice is that if someone wanted to become, uh, to, to go the trans route, let's say, uh, that it was their response to being gay and they didn't want to be gay so badly that they would change sex uh, as, as, a, as an answer to it. Because one, they were told that they were immoral in the church and uh, in the community, they were told that it was an illness and that uh, it this was uh, a serious illness and there was conversion therapy or, and in many locations and still today, it was illegal. So I think that there was this assumption often that, well, they're just trying to avoid that those situations and uh, pretend to be a female or a male uh, con contrary to what they were uh, in their beginning of their lives. So, but I, I feel now that, and I, that's what I would like you to touch on personally, that how has that feeling come about? What, what is that feeling that says, you know, and, and how does it affect you as a human being uh, that says, this voice says, you know, this isn't who you are. And this is maybe where you should be. Uh, do you have any um, thoughts on that, Adriana? Uh, yeah, you know, I think it's the understanding that really starts with understanding the history of trans identities and communities. You know, trans people have existed all throughout history, all throughout time. There have been the two-spirit tradition in Native American cultures. You have the hedras who do blessings for weddings and baby showers. You have nable, you have fridash. You have the Fa'afinis. Um, so trans people have existed all throughout history and all throughout time. But oftentimes our history, our existence was destroyed. Um, oftentimes by, you know, religious groups who deemed mm. our identities to be immoral or not proper. There's a, um, great, there's a great example that in the Hawaiian culture, they felt that uh, a trans person or a, a gay person had the spirits of embodiment of both spirits of male and female. And for that, they were special and regarded uh, especially well in their, in the community. And then along came religion and, and Catholics and they told them to put clothes on and uh, more clothes on and uh, that that was an abomination and shouldn't be accepted. So there Absolutely. you go. Yep. And that was the case of Two-Spirit. When you look at the Native American history of Two-Spirit identities, you know, it was often seen as a blessing, as a gift yeah. to the family and to the tribe to have a Two-Spirit person. But, you know, when the genocide of the Native Americans happened here, um, it often started with, you know, the Two-Spirit communities. Um, and so, you know, oh, wow. we have it all throughout history and all throughout time. And, you know... Um, when people talk about, well, how do you, how did you come to your understanding, uh, understanding of yourself as a trans person? I like to turn that question around and say, how did you come to an understanding of yourself as a straight person? How did you come to right. understanding of yourself as a gay person? 
I don't think that necessarily there is a voice in your head, but really you just are who you are. And the world starts challenging how you present yourself, who you authentically are. And that's when you start thinking that you're different or doubting your identity because you're presenting your identity to the world and you're being told you have to conform to this male or female box. And that's the difference that you notice as a trans person. You are from you, who you are from the get-go, but it's the social conditioning that we get from parents who want to have a gender reveal party and assign you blue or pink, <laughs> and then your, your life is dictated at that point that if you're a girl, you're going to wear a dress and pink and play with Barbies, and if you're a boy, you're rough and tough, and that's when we start noticing this difference that the, how I feel is not being respected. My family, my friends are telling, telling me how I'm but supposed to be instead of honoring who I am. I, I, under, I understand that, and, that, and uh, that's a, a huge part of it. But I, I also I, I want to step out here and say this, too. I feel when my conversations with some trans people is that they feel, uh, and it speaks to what you just said about how did you know you were straight, how, that some people in emotionally and a part of them is that they're i guess on a spiritual level a female and they're they came in a male body and that it it's not a matter of i mean that i guess that's their motivation is to get in the right body for their internal uh feelings that they have uh which is their yeah it's their motivation not necessarily you know to uh, dismiss what other people think it should be, but to run and run away from it, but to go forward towards something that really is more about you and uh, who you are and who you feel you should be you know, to yourself. And, and, you know, I think that narrative it definitely describes some people, this concept of being born in the wrong body or, you know, having to change to conform to uh, another binary identity. If you were assigned male, you transition to female. I think, you know, that that narrative definitely defines some people's experience. But now really what we're recognizing is that it's even more diverse than that. You're talking about gender non-conforming young people, gender queer young people, fluid people. For them, their experience is not that I was born in the wrong body. It's that I don't conform to the binary stereotypes and I just want to be myself, period. Whatever, whatever that may be. So, you know, I think that that narrative is definitely being expanded on by younger people who are really exploring, um, you know, identities in completely new ways. I think for my generation, you know, I'm in my mid-40s. Um, my generation, we didn't have role models of, how to talk about this. You know, for me, the reason I, I didn't come out until my 20s was because there was no language. I had no idea how to even describe this to my mother. Kids nowadays are growing up with YouTube videos of trans people <laughs> auditioning yes. and developing language and advocating for their pronouns. And so they're coming to their parents fully able to describe who they are and what they are experiencing which is not something that my generation was able to do. Right. So it's we're we're on jet fuel now uh, with social, social media pushing it along. Uh, and that's great. I, I, I think, you know, can look at the current generation and they can, they can kind of look at you kind of like, well, what do you mean you didn't know anyone else was gay? You know, what do you mean you don't, that you thought you were alone, you know, and their point of reference is, 
they've never been alone ever. Uh, they may feel, I shouldn't say it quite like that. They may feel abandoned by their family and, uh, and some of their friends, but they've never been alone as far as uh, a knowledge of what's out there and what other people are experiencing. And that's what the internet brings. And that's a good thing. I think. Uh, I, I love the the younger, the youthful, I'm older, but I love the youthful attitude is it's, uh, what is that, c'est le frere, what, is, what, what does it matter, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's it's dismissive in a good way. <laughs> Usually I hate people that are dismissive, but it's dis- it's like, what's all the brouhaha about? What does it matter? Uh, you know, to, if one person wants to be themselves, what does it cost someone else in, in their their world it's it doesn't it's it's not right that's the you know the weird duality that we're in and I, you can see the generational gap that you have legislators who are in their 60s 70s trying to say you know identities based on your genitals and you have all these young kids who are growing up and saying my genitals don't define me <laughs> um, you you know? and, and so you know that's the, and i think that's what you know, millennials and Gen Zers are sort of waking up to. They grew up at a time where, you know, a lot of these things were fought for by gay lesbian activists and early trans activists. And, you know, they had access to hormones. They had access to information. And now, you know, we have an administration that's trying to turn back the time. Um, And, you know, I hope that, you know, younger people are getting activated voting and realizing that, you know, the world that they stepped into that offered them all of these things can be easily taken away. And so, you know, the fight is not over. You know, uh, I'm going to bring up politics here, which is a where I, I understand that the, there's a major disclaimer for the station, but we're the individual radio hosts are entitled to their opinions. So uh, there was a um, a town hall meeting with Joe Biden in Florida and a young uh, handsome young guy stood up and what the question he had was to uh, Joe Biden, you know, you're 78 years old and I'm just, I'm just old enough to vote. He says, what in your world would, how could you understand the, the youth and what their issues are? And I thought Joe Biden handled it very well. And he says, and, and in that he said, this world is yours. We're, we're leaving. This world is yours. And, and we need to do things that, uh, that we need to fix things to make it more your world. And I thought that was, and he says, and I want you to, I want you, I, I, I like to say, I feel I understand, you know, and I do have grandkids. And he says, and that I'm close to and their families. And I says, and I, he says, I get it. He says, I get it. And I thought, well, that's probably the best answer you could give uh, under the circumstances. Um, but, and, and I hope <clears throat> I felt he was sincere in it, but it made me feel that, uh, that he's not forgetting that the, the now generation is inheriting the world and that uh, it's important to, and, and he did say this, that experience is important to getting things done, whatever it is and whoever it's for. And he says, so I, I feel that, but with, with the input of, uh, of a younger generation was what he was saying. So I was very grateful for that. I thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> you know, I think, and I think that the real, you know, sort of um, information there is to recognize that the systems that we operate under, whether it's religion, 
or our government are based off of things that were developed, you know, when we're talking about government, you know, hundreds of years ago, and when we're talking about religion thousands of years ago. We're taught, we're trying to make religion that was developed, you know, over a thousand years ago fit today, and it does not. No. And so we have to evolve our thinking, our theology, our government to match who we are as human beings, how we are evolving as a human race. You know, and that's struggle we're in today. Pete Buttigieg touched on that very well, that he said, you know, our cultures change, attitudes change. And he says, our, I, he's, his opinion, I feel that our government was structured so that it could change within certain parameters of we the people and for the people, of the people, by the people. But, and he says, but so many of, the, of our institutions they need to change with the times a little bit, you know, and we need, it's okay to have an amendment. It's okay to update things that are where an attitude's changed to make it so it's more functional in government. And I thought, wow, I kind of like that. <laughs> so it was, it, it was refreshing to hear that. And amendments to move us forward, to understand that language is evolving, identity is evolving. And so if we change systems to take into account gender neutral pronouns or somebody's authentic pronoun, that's evolution. That's part of what we should be doing, not fighting those things like it's going against nature or what have you, what some of the arguments are, Um, you know, and so I, I think that's spot on that we have to keep evolving in ways that you know, help us not set us back and, you know, do, do our, do us harm. Right. And use religion in that, you know, the business of religion. We can go about. So trans people and your efforts in LA, um, I kind of want to go back towards that because I think more recently you've had, uh, you've had some accomplishments. You want to go on, uh, explain what you've done more recently and kind of maybe what your hope, your hope is uh, in as you move forward? Yes, you know, uh, at Trans Can Work, uh, I am Vice President of Programming at Trans Can Work, where we focus on workforce development for trans people, helping them become the best candidates for jobs, getting them the skills to get into those positions. And we also do uh, work fit, workplace diversity and inclusion work. So training employers on how to create environments that facilitate the changing workforce, really. Oh, wow. uh, and, you know, we are really excited. In November, we're putting out a, a uh, inclusive workplace toolkit in partnership with the city of West Hollywood. Um, I don't know that any other city has done this before. They funded us to do an anti-transphobia campaign with employers to get more trans people economically empowered. So we did a series of trainings with employers this year, and it's all coming into culmination in November for Transgender Awareness Month, um, and we're going to be sending those toolkits to employers. That um, sounds fantastic. I just, that is wonderful, fabulous. I can't believe something like that's being done. <laughs> Honestly. Thanks to the city of Hollywood, you know, a yeah. queer, you know, out in the world. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's businesses out there too that, Maybe they have uh, your business owner. Maybe your sister became your brother, and but you know what they're going through, and you're wondering what you can do to maybe help your brother or your sister, <laughs> whatever, uh, you, to help them in that cultural challenge. 
And as a businessman, that's one thing you could do. You could you could reach out to your organization and look for uh, some insightful training on how to handle. I mean, some people, uh, uh, anyone can have, can be br- a brilliant employee, but to dismiss them for something that's insignificant when it comes to their work performance is not right. And uh, their work performance should triumph whatever uh, whatever the other challenges are. You know, I think a big component of that is knowing how to identify and handle microaggressions. You know, you have very talented trans people who are in the workplace who leave because the workplace has become hostile. How do they become hostile to trans people when we are constantly misgendered? You know, I present female, I'm out in the workplace, and people are constantly referring to me in male pronouns. That, you know, creates a hostile work environment after a while. I, you know, use the restroom that's in alignment with my identity and people are freaking out and calling management that, you know, they don't like the fact that I'm using the restroom that's in alignment with my identity, even though California law protects that. And so it's about employers knowing also how to have a a system that protects diversity in the workplace that really set them up for success. Um, And that's part of what we do at Trans Can Work. You know, we consult with employers and really help them look at all of their systems and where those barriers are to trans and gender diverse people. Have, have you uh, laid out the program yet, or is it still in the formative uh, phase? Uh, no, we're, you know, we're fully doing the work. We've, uh, you know, been working with lots of corporations and also smaller mom and pop shops on diversity and inclusion, um, doing the trainings of their workforce, but also consulting with them on, you know, their health care packages, making sure that they are inclusive of transitional care for trans people, making sure that their internal non-discrimination includes, and non-discrimination language includes gender identity and sexual orientation, um, making sure that they know how to educate the workforce so that when they are using the wrong language, they know how to correct that or, you know, that they can be called on it and, and said, hey, it's been three months since somebody transitioned. It's time for you to adhere to that person's correct pronoun. Oh, you know, yeah. they have to have these conversations with their workforce. Or, or management or middle, say you're, you're the owner and you have mid-level management who foster discrimination by just saying, oh, yeah, that's, oh, oh, uh, that person doesn't know who they are, you know, or I'm, I don't want, I, I can't even say anything derogatory. I'm trying to think of something to say, but, um, you know, that maybe that mid-level manager says uh, crude things that insult uh, the person in their efforts to be who they are and make fun of them to other employees and they're in management. And, you know, if that attitude is from the mid-level or top, it goes all the way to the bottom and can be very hurtful, right? I can't tell you how many clients we've had who had that exact same situation where, you know, uh, they were management or director level positions and, you know, the people under them who they directed all adhered, uh, made the transition easily, but it was the people above them who didn't, who would send out memos and use people's dead name or, you know, use the wrong pronoun, um, who would be in, in, you know, board meetings and introduce them with the wrong name and pronoun, things like that. And yes, absolutely, sometimes it comes from the people above you. And so having an HR system who knows how to deal with that is vital to you know overcoming those barriers. What about um, one 
area we haven't t- touched on. I know some people here are very active in Laguna Beach in that regard, and that's the school system and the right pronouns. And uh, I just, for example, uh, two, the parents are both male. And the, the, so the, the applications say husband and wife and, as opposed to uh, spouse, you know, or... So I, exactly. what are, what's your uh, experience with the education uh, with schools? Uh, that, you know, parents are sort of parents and administrators um, in many schools are kind of running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Oh, my God, the kids look different. You know, girls aren't looking like girls are supposed to look, quote, unquote, and boys aren't looking like boys are supposed to look, quote, unquote, and they just don't know how to figure it out. Um, and so, you know, that's when they need to work with uh, organizations like Trump Can Work or their local LGBT organization um, to really look at, again, what they can do to educate their teachers and then also educate parents because parents often enforce those binary stereotypes of why does my daughter want to wear pants all the time? Why isn't she, why doesn't she want to wear the pretty dress? And you know, sometimes it comes from the parents. Sometimes the teachers are fine with letting the kids be themselves and learn how they need to learn. Um, but it's the parents who have a big problem with it, who are trying to, you know, force a child to be something they're not and really impacting their educational experience. Um, and so, you know, I think, especially in school systems, this is being driven by young people. It's young people who are coming out and saying, I don't feel like a boy or I don't feel like a girl. I just feel like myself and I get to figure out what that is. And parents are, you know, in that situation of, but wait, you're supposed to be this thing, this one <laughs> thing, and now you're not, and I don't know how to figure that out, and you know, uh, and with schools, it's the same thing. It's looking at those systems that are often based on binary identities, you know, assuming that parents are a male-female structure, that families are, uh, uh, you know, this gender hetero structure of father and mother, um, and so recognizing that diversity is coming full swing and that, you know, millennials and Gen Zers are just the tip of the iceberg. Wait until what comes after them. (laughs) Out of the water. And so if you're struggling now, do the work that you need to do because it's not going away. I I think teachers uh, have a broader perspective of, uh, a generation of with a generation of students as opposed to a parent who has two kids or three kids uh they have a, a broader point of reference with uh different kids being very different than a parent and i can see parents being um of their generation and their and with their those attitudes i have a an article i want to read here that to everyone and you and uh, get your input on it. It says, transgender people still criminalized in 13 United Nations member states, the report finds. So this is uh, an organization called Voice of America. At least 13 United Nations member states still criminalize transgender people, while others use uh, uh, morality and indecency laws to crack down on the trans community. A report showed on Wednesday in uh, on Wednesday, Nigeria, Oman, and Lebanon are among the nations with explicit anti-trans laws, according to the latest trans legal mapping report by LGBT plus rights group ILGA World. 
The research details trans uh, legislation and policies in 143 UN member states and 19 other jurisdictions. Many other countries apply seemingly innocuous regulations covering offenses such as public nuisance and indecency, morality, and loitering uh, to police trans communities. So they use those laws to police them, uh, what they call it, selective enforcement, right? Uh, The report said, however, at least uh, 95 UN member states now have provisions for legal gender recognition, according to the research. So uh, there's still 13 United, yeah. So it's a, any thoughts on that? (laughs) Yeah, it's, you know, really sad to be in the 21st century and you still can live in countries where you can be killed for being LGBTQ, where you're, it's illegal for you to be LGBTQ. You know, in the 50s and 60s, it was illegal for for people to wear clothing of the opposite gender. Um, Those were the laws that were used to break into our bars and arrest us. And, you know, while we have moved forward from some of that, not, not everywhere, you know, the rest of the country is still, you know, struggling with a lot of that. Um, And, you know, part of, I think what we're, what we see in the States is a modeling of, you know, what laws can look like when they are inclusive um, and, you know, hopefully, you know, that those will work as models for those countries. But oftentimes it's about getting, um, you know, political representation that is, you know, with the times that isn't, you know, heterocentric or so overly fundamental religious that, you know, your identity is criminalized. Um, and, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. You know, I was hoping that by this time we'd be in flying cars going to Mars, but instead we're still fighting about women's rights and LGBTQ rights and even marriage now is being, you know, uh, potentially being threatened. It's just, for me, it's like, come on, people, let's evolve already. There is so much more to worry about, like the environment. Exactly. Uh, you know, much bigger issues at hand. Let's let people be who they are and worry about the things that are really going to do us in, like our planet. Right. Good point. I want to uh, read one more article, and I will preface it by saying it is pretty down and dark, but I think it needs to be said because it speaks to the urgency of what your efforts are, um, Drian. And so uh, with that, I will read it. This is in Russia. No, No surprise there. St. Petersburg, Russia, this is uh, Radio Free Europe, uh, had this on the airs, airwaves. In June, a high school student discovered the, a decapitated and dismembered body in a swimming hole uh, on the Maga River, just outside St. Petersburg, Russia's large, uh, second largest city. Using the serial numbers uh, of Irish-made breast implants found on the body, police identified the victim as a 23-year-old Jamshid, uh, I don't can't. Hanajov, a transgender sex worker from is back from Uzbekistan. I can't get it. Uzi Uzbekistan, who preferred the name Tamara. She had disappeared from Saint in Saint Petersburg five months earlier on the night of uh, January twelfth and thirteenth. Last week, a court sanctioned the arrest of a fifty-three-year-old actor and theater producer 
Yuri, in connection with the case, investigations allege that Yuri was uh, her last client and that he killed her in St. Petersburg Hotel using a knife and saw. So, I, you know, that's horrible. But it's going on. And when, and just as you spoke earlier, that <clears throat> when they're on, when someone's on the street and they need to survive, uh, it's a matter of, of uh, urgency. You do what you have to, you know. And that's really, um, really a sad state of affairs. Absolutely. And, you know, I am somebody who had to access sex work in order to transition. Um, you know, as an immigrant, I was brought up with the idea that you go to college, you get an education, you get a good job, and then you can live your life. And I did those things. I went to college, I got an education, I was working, and I went to my HR and said, you know, I want to transition. Um, and this is early on where, you know, I didn't even know how to describe it. I just, you know, was talking about what kind of transsexual care do you have? And they, and at that time, my insurance had a stipulation that says we do not cover transsexual care. And so, you know, for me, it was either kill myself or live my authentic life because I could not live a lie anymore. And so I had to do sex work in order to buy my hormones and be able to see a doctor. And 99% of the clients who I saw were married, had children, were in relationships, all of them heterosexually identified, who loved trans women. But as soon as they were open about like being being trans amorous as it's called, then their place of privilege was challenged. They were no longer mm -hmm. the white hetero man who's at the top of the food chain. They became the other. They became part of the community that is now discriminated against. And you know, sometimes men, instead of giving up their male privilege, will do us harm to not have to look into the mirror of who they really are and what their attraction is really about. Well, I, I um, you just opened up a whole nother couple chapters in this book right there. I just, well, I may, I may have to have ask if in a couple, uh, in a month or so, if you could, you could come back. Uh, I, I want to, we're, we're, we, we, I can roll over into the next program a little bit. Um, but I want to say, uh, praise you for being so open and candid here. I mean, you've shared some very personal things uh, to make your point and I guess to support your agenda of fairness and um, inclusion and the embracement of diversity. And so I applaud you for that, well, <laughs> for, for stepping you know, out there. And I do it because just today there was a story of a young trans woman, Brooklyn Deshauna Smith, killed in Louisiana just today. And that's why I do it. You know, that's why I share these personal stories because, because we're still dying out there. We're still being murdered. I feel like I'm in a very privileged place to live where I do, um, to have a job to be able to support myself, but my trans sisters, brothers, siblings, they're still dying in places like Louisiana. And so, you know, we got to continue to fight. Wow. Um, if, uh, say, we have a listener out there, and I always like to do that. First, I got to say, this is Craig on Rainbow Radio, KX FM 104.7, Human Crafted Radio. 
I got to get that in there. But if, if someone wanted to contact you and they, they heard about your program today, uh, is there a, a fairly easy method to get in touch with you? Absolutely. You can look at trendcanworks.org. So T-R-A-N-S, can, C-A-N, work, W-O-R-K.org. And you will find our contact info there. Please get a hold of us if you are a community member who is looking for resources or wants to wants to get some help getting a good job, or if you're an employer and you want to create an inclusive workplace, please call us. We're here to help with all of that. Um, and the more of us that start to create this change, the sooner we'll be in that place where we will be on the flying cars going to Mars and not dealing <laughs> with people you know, right to their body or right to choose, you know? I wanted to say this, uh, a, a kind of a, I guess of an offer and suggestion, kind of thinking out loud here on the radio. Uh, I'm president of Laguna Beach Pride, which is a nonprofit 501c3 here in Laguna Beach. And our mantra is to embrace the power of diversity and, uh, and commerce in uh, Laguna Beach. And we're looking at a program where... Uh, if you uh, are a, if you support non-discrimination in your business and uh, kind of like HRC has where they rate the companies and their, and their, how they handle themselves, we're not going to quite do it like that, but we call it the rainbow merchants group. And uh, so it would be great at some point if you could be in Laguna beach and we could uh, work something out where we kind of have an open forum or a town hall and discuss what this process might all be about and, uh, and, and then incorporate perhaps some local or something to do with the businesses and how they can address trans as a part of their embracement of diversity. That that's not just about being gay or lesbian, that it includes a lot more and uh, certainly a lot more that's uh, suffering great pain and uh, more discrimination than ever. So we'll, 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 Incredible, Craig. Absolutely. And, you know, thank you for being a good sibling um, and bringing, (laughs) you know, amplifying these voices, these stories. Um, You know, thank you for all the good work that you do to to change the energy that's out there and create, again, that world that we all want to thrive in. So thank you for, for this time, Craig. You're welcome. I I will also say that on rainbow-radio.com, that's rainbow-radio.com, we will I will be posting this interview and you can download it and listen to it in its entirety if you miss some of it. Or you can share it with whomever you feel. I do also have a, a Zoom video of it which is kind of boring because it's just me. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but uh, we're working on getting our guests on there uh, too. But anyway, the audio is is there with the Zoom, but it'll be posted on rainbow-radio.com. And um, I will also uh, post the link that, uh, and actually, why don't you go through it one more time Adriana, and I will write it down. It's trans. Get a hold of us at transcanworks.org. There you'll find all of our contact info, a little bit about who we are and the work that we do. You'll get to know our staff. Please connect with us. You know, the more we economically empower each other, 
the more that this world will feel like it's the right place for all of us. Thank you. I will put that on uh, Rainbow-Radio's website, the link to her website. And um, I thank you so much. This has been so great. You know, I always judge if... (laughs) If, if I get my guest on and it goes for the whole hour and, and we want to go further, that it's been a good after or good morning, a good start of the day. So I've had a fantastic start of the day. I appreciate, appreciate your time today. And I think it would be great to check in with you in maybe a month or two and see how uh, your progress is doing up there. And, and there'll probably be some more news we can share with one another in uh, this process of inclusion. How about that? I would love that. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much, Craig, for having me on your show for this wonderful discussion. Um, And thank you for all the good work you do. No problem. Thanks again. Have a great afternoon, everyone, on KXFM Human Crafted Radio 104.7.